our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience in simplicity, in godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. For we have had our manner of life in the world and more abundantly to you, word. For we write none other things unto you than what you read or acknowledge. And I trust you shall acknowledge even to the end. And also you have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing even as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day word for word from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27. Dr. Mitchell is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 today, where the Apostle Paul defends his sincerity, clear conscience, and his life conducted in the grace of God. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and we trust that each one of you, especially those of you who love the Lord, and are listening into this program day by day, I trust you'll be reading 2 Corinthians through over and over again. And allow me again to repeat a few things, too, so that those of you who have not been listening in may pick up the connection of our study of this book. We've already finished 1 Corinthians, all 16 chapters, in which we've had the Apostle Paul uh, exhorting, teaching, admonishing the church at, at Corinth. You remember that Corinth was a very, very immoral, wicked city. Indeed, to be called a Corinthian was a vile word meant you were immoral. And the philosophies of men were very rampant in that city. And they all denied the physical resurrection of Christ. With the result in chapter, in the chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he spent a great deal of time proving the resurrection of our Savior. Now, when you come to 2 Corinthians, he begins to reveal to us his own heart. 
There is not another epistle in the New Testament where you have the heart of Paul so revealed. This man who taught his union with Christ, God had revealed to him that every real believer in the Savior is a member of the body of Christ. We're joined to the Savior forever to share in his glory, to see him in his beauty, to experience more than ever before that intimate fellowship with God. Oh, what a prospect is in store for those who put their trust in the Savior. And Paul begins to defend his apostleship. And he talks about his experience. He's been talking about the value of suffering, for example, in verses 3 to 7 of the first chapter. The value of suffering. Purpose to be able to comfort others who need to be comforted. Why do you think God puts us through tests and trials that we might be able to undergird and strengthen and comfort those who are going through tests and trials? That no one, no one is able to comfort someone who has just lost a member of the family, where a wife has lost her husband, or her husband lost his wife, or children who have gone, so on, people in the family. If you've never gone through that experience, my friend, how can you comfort those? How can you know what they're going through if you've never experienced it? So Paul says, the Lord has put me through all these terrific experiences. What for? That I might be a comfort to those who go through such things. I know in my own family, I've, I've buried all my family except one. I have one niece. That's all I have in the world, in my family. I know what it means and so can be used of God to comfort, to undergird those who go through such experiences. And so you have the experience of suffering in 8 to 10, and then we have the fellowship in the suffering in verse 11. The experience of the suffering, where Paul experienced the comfort of God himself, the comfort of a God of resurrection, one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, that was already defeated, death in the grave. i tell you, my friend, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Man's great enemy, death, whether you're rich or poor, bond or free, whatever your color, whatever your nationality, whatever you are and wherever you are, death reigns today. There's no argument there. Death reigns. Death reigns. When a man says, I don't believe that, well, you'll soon find out because you're going to die. See, for us who are Christians, we look for the coming of the Lord. How glad I am that death is a defeated foe. And so we experience suffering and we're undergirded through the suffering. And then in verse 11, we have the fellowship of the suffering. These Corinthians were praying for Paul and how Paul appreciated that. And he didn't go into that. Now we come to Paul defending his actions, starting in a chapter 1, verse 12. Now it runs through chapter 2, verse 11. And Paul here personally vindicates his actions. For example, in, in verses 12 to 14, he, he evidences his sincerity when he says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, in simplicity, in godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. For we have had our manner of life, how we've conducted our life, in the world, and more abundantly to you, word, for we write none other things unto you than what you read or acknowledge, and I trust you shall acknowledge even to the end. 
And also, you have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as you also are ours. We rejoice together in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let me just stop here for a moment. Mark his sincerity. His conscience is clear before God and what he is saying. Listen to it. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity, in godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have conducted our lives in the world before God in sincerity, in simplicity, before God, and more abundant to you, word. I wonder, Christian friend, if you could say that. Do you think you could say that? Could you put in writing just what Paul has put down? Now remember, let me get the background. Here are people in Corinth who are opposed to Paul. As you go further in the, in the book of Corinthians, the second book, they, they say concerning him, his bodily presence was weak. His speech is contemptible. His words, they say, are mighty. <laughs> but his bodily presence is weak. His speech is contemptible. And Paul is here vindicating his actions. And he's got a clear conscience before God. So he could say, we rejoice in this. Our testimony according to our conscience is in simplicity, in godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. I want you to mark that. I'm not talking about the philosophies of men, the wisdom of men. I'm talking about the reality of a life with God. Oh, listen, my friend. If ever this world needed transformed lives, sincere lives, people who live before God, it's now. I needn't press that. It's so obvious. God give us men. God give us preachers and teachers and Christians. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we might be able to say with Paul, we rejoice that the testimony of our conscience was in simplicity, in godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom. Oh, how today we're faced with that continually, the wisdom of men. And may I remind you the first and second chapters of First Corinthians, the wisdom of men is foolishness with God. For the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. The wisdom of this world is nothing with God. You think that you know everything? You know nothing when it comes to eternal verities. You don't know anything about that either unless God revealed it to you. You'll not know a thing about eternal life or sins forgiven unless God reveals it to you. You don't know what's going to happen through eternity unless God reveals it to you. How wonderful that he's given to us the word of God and the spirit of God to lead us and to guide us into all truth. My Christian friend, you and I, and I'm including Mitchell on this, you and I can't afford not to feed on the word of God day after day. As David could write the word of God, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way but by taking heed according to thy word. 
I'm quoting verses 9 and 11, by the way, of 119th Psalm. What I'm trying to get to your heart is this. Let us measure things the way God measures them. That's what Paul's talking about. Our conscience before God is clear because we have lived in simplicity, in godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. That's how we lived, by the grace of God. We had a manner of life. This old English word of conversation, by the way, means your conversation doesn't mean about your talk. It means about your whole life, how you, how you live day by day for God. How do you live? How about you? How about me? How are you, how are you and I living today? Are you living for the glory of God, Christian friend? Are you living to please Him? Whatever the world may say. Or the world says, I'm a fanatic. Well, so what? So what? What does the world know about it? What does the world know about it? As our Lord Jesus could say in John chapter 14, the world doesn't know these things. The world doesn't even begin to know it. When you talk about a Savior who redeems from sin and gives you life eternal and gives you the hope of eternal glory, I said that's just pure theory, just theoretical things. No, my friend, it's a reality. And this man, Paul, by the way, who knew all the philosophies of the day, I would say there was no better trained man in the, in the wisdom of the day than the Apostle Paul. And yet, he said, I, I live before you in simplicity, in godly sincerity. Boy, could you say that? You remember in Romans chapter 9, he said he calls God to be his witness that he had unceasing pain and continual sorrow in his heart that Israel might be saved. Brother, can you call God to be your witness what you're saying and what you're doing? This man Paul could do that. This is what he's saying because he's very cognizant of the fact that there were those at Corinth who opposed him. And he goes on. Now it's from verse 15 down to verse 22. Paul is declaring he's not fickle. He's not wishy-washy. He doesn't believe one thing today and something tomorrow. This is what they're accusing him of. He had talked about going to see them, and he hadn't come yet. You remember in the, in the, uh, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, he had talked about this fact, that he wanted to be with them, spend the winter with them, and he didn't show up. Nobody said, if the Lord permit me, because God had given them a wide open door to Ephesus, there were many adversaries. So they said, well, you don't need to look for Paul. He doesn't mean what he says. He's fickle. Listen to it. In this confidence, I was minded to come unto you before, that you might have a second blessing, a second benefit, to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. This is what I wanted to do. But it was not the Lord's purpose for me to do it. I told you I might see you on my way to Macedonia. I said I might see you when I come out of Macedonia and be with you. So you can encourage me on my way to Jerusalem, towards Judea. Verse 17, When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, no, no, maybe. But as God is true, 
our word toward you was not yes or no, or yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me, by Silvanus, by Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen to the glory of God by us. You see, he's not fickle. He couldn't afford to be fickle if he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he claimed to be led by Jesus Christ, who was always true. Let me get this thing before you. They were saying, if I can, if I can see the implication of this, this man, Paul, you can never depend upon him. You never know whether he means a thing or not. He says, yesterday and no tomorrow. He says he's going to come by us now, and he doesn't come, and he'll come by tomorrow, but he's not too sure about you. You can't depend upon Paul. He's fickle. And Paul says, wait a minute. When I was there, for was I, did I use lightness what is among you? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be neither ye, 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 nay, nay. God is true. I'm going to call God to be my witness. Our word to you was not yea and nay. We came to you with a positive message for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, by Silvanus, by Timothy, was not yea and nay, but in him, in Christ Jesus, positive yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. What's he mean? What does he mean? Everything that God has said is sure. Everything he said about his son is sure. All the promises that God has made in and through his son is sure. The very character, the very righteous character of God is at stake. What men may say today and what men may say tomorrow is neither here nor there. I came to you with a message with the authority of Christ, given in the power of the Spirit of God. All the promises of God are to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And his was the final word. In him is amen. But for that God may be glorified. Every promise that God has made is going to be fulfilled in Christ. You know, Christian friends, now I talk to you Christians for a moment. What's the matter with us Christians? I'll tell you what's the matter. We don't begin to know the promises of God in Christ. We don't begin to know what God has promised and purposed for you and me in Christ. Our minds can't grasp the marvels of what God has in store for his people. But he guarantees it. And notice what he says. All the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God. Now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. The one who's going to fulfill his promises has anointed us, who has sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Let me just stop right here. 
he's not only going to fulfill every promise to the glory of God, but he's made it sure to you and me by sealing us and giving us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. I'm reminded of those verses in Ephesians chapter 1. Do you remember where Paul in verses, verses 13 and 14, unbelieving you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What do you mean? God has sealed you in Christ until the day of manifestation, the day of glorification. I'm just as sure. In fact, I'll be very dogmatic and say this. I'm just as sure as God is on the throne that I'm going to stand in his presence glorified with his son because he's promised that. This is true for every real believer in Christ, not only the mature ones, but even the babes in Christ. Maybe you've just been saved and you're wondering what the future is. I'll tell you, everything that God has said in his word concerning you is going to be fulfilled. For example, let me refresh you. Romans 8, 29 says, God has determined that you and I shall be conformed to the image of his Son. It's a promise. Our citizenship, Philippians 3, 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will change these bodies, fashion them like unto his body of glory. The epistle of John chapter 3 what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And we are. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Marvelous promise. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you, shall perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. We're put in Christ, sealed in Christ, until the day of redemption. You remember in Hebrews chapter 6, the last verse, our Savior has gone into the presence of God as our forerunner. What do you mean by that? He's the guarantee that all who are in him will enter the presence of God and be glorified together with him. My, what a prospect. All the promises of God are yea and amen in him for the glory of God by us. Has it ever got a hold of you, Christian friend? It may be you're being dragged down in this world. Maybe you're discouraged because of world conditions. Maybe economically you're having a tough time. Get your eyes on him. He understands. He knows what you need. And every promise of God in Christ is going to be fulfilled. One of these days, this is beyond human comprehension, by the way, one of these days you and I are going to stand in the presence of the eternal God, are going to stand before him in all the beauty, all the glory of Christ himself, dressed in his righteousness, eternally with him, unbroken eternal fellowship with God. My, what a prospect. And he's guaranteed that and made it safe for us by sealing us in Christ until that wonderful day. Everyone in Christ 
Everyone who has been related to the Savior by simple faith is going to stand before God in all the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ. I say, my friend, what a prospect. All the promises of God, yea and amen in Christ. What a prospect. What a hope. What a joy. Am I speaking to you, my friend, and you're listening in and you've never accepted the Savior? What do you have in the future? What do you have? You say, I'm going to take my chance. My friend, you don't have a chance. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And you're going to have these wonderful things we've been discussing. You will come and mean business with God. God means business. Don't forget that. If you don't mean business, God will not mean business with you. He wants you to put your trust in Him. And when you put your trust in Him, you pass from death to life. And all these things we've been talking about will be yours. That's what He says here. He'll seal you in Christ. He'll put you in Christ. Seal you in Christ until the day when our bodies will be redeemed and be made just like His. What a prospect. What a hope. What a Savior. The Lord bless you now for His name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins again.